Hello and welcome to the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. My name is Shmuel Tenenhaus and this is my podcast. Happy Friday because it's Friday when I'm recording it. Even though some of you people, you people, you know who I mean, will only listen to this on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or next week. Anyways, I'm drinking a 7-Eleven coffee, which I have an affinity for. And if you get six cups of coffee or six Slurpees from 7-Eleven, the seventh one is free. And they are not a sponsor. I'm just plugging it on something I'm very excited about. Now, we have a lot of things to cover here today. And I am going to just jump right in. I do want to say it was, uh, I'm just getting back and recovering from the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast world tour. Uh, we stopped in about uh, maybe th- it was maybe 30 different countries and uh, almost, I, I think I was in every state in the United States. And so it was so nice of everybody to come out and meet everybody and actually sold out all the swag that we had brought. And uh, we definitely have to do it again, maybe next Hanukkah. So I want to start with a uh, revelation about myself and a lifelong struggle, which I seem to have overcome uh, somewhat. And that is, in my 40s, for the first time, for a couple of weeks consistently, I have stopped biting my nails. Now, I didn't say I'm not pulling on them, I'm still pulling on them, but I used to have a way to deal with stress, and that would be I would just chop my nails down to as low as they can possibly go without being hospitalized. And I've put an end to that for now. Why Why now? So the thing is, as I'm getting older, I know that at some point in time, I'm going to be more frail. And let's say I get arthritis, and, my, and it's just going to be harder to do the same nail biting that I, I would do when I'm younger. And so I'm starting to prepare for old age and, and doing away with... Uh, strenuous bad habits. Now, a couple of things that I want to share for those of you who still bite their nails and even for those who who never had this challenge, who somehow are able to get through life and the stresses of life without, you know, relying on biting your nails as a crutch to calm you down, like like I've been doing for so many years. So the first thing is, while I've rid myself of one bad habit, I've noticed now with my newfound nails, that I can now extract things from my ear and my nose with exact precision, which I didn't have before. Because before I didn't have any any nails. And so it was like I was putting a marker in my my nose or my ear. And so who would ever thunk that I get rid of one bad habit and now there are new bad habits, which are way more convenient to do In general, I think this would be a good selling point for people out there who bite their nails. And that is, maybe put an end to it. But if you need bad habits, trust me, having nails is going to open the door to a lot more bad habits. Could be even worse than the current habit that you have. Now, another thing I'm realizing with the biting of the nails is, my wife told me, hey, now you got to cut your nails. I guess because my Fingers are starting to look like Edward Scissorhands. And I don't want to cut my nails. I've been biting them for so many years. Like, I just want to keep them going. But I guess for the safety of those around me, uh, 
I, I'm going to have to bite them. Not bite them, sorry. That's a Freudian slip. I think I'm going to have to cut them. But there's just a lot of upkeep involved that I didn't even realize that somebody who is maintaining their nails has to, to do on a regular basis. So kudos to you. And uh, we'll see. If I can keep this up for another couple of months, I may do a Kiddush and Shul to celebrate the momentous occasion. Somebody I saw at a concert on Hanukkah told me that he put on the podcast for my wife and she was chortling. Now, the reason why I share this story is because I may not have the most listened to podcast, but I definitely have the most educated people who listen to me because chortling is not a word that you're going to hear at a Fabringen. It's not something that you're going to be, you know, your kid's going to come home from school and say, hey, the, the teacher was chortling in class, but listeners to my podcast feel the need to chortle. And I feel so excited to share that with everybody. Now, Hanukkah just ended here in South Florida. Uh, Ron DeSantis actually changed it. We do 11 days uh, just to attract more Jews to move to Florida. So 11 days of Hanukkah are now concluded. And it is very stressful being a from Jew in South Florida because there are frankly way too many Hanukkah celebrations. So basically you can get the 24-7 Hanukkah app and every 15 minutes, a different shliach is doing uh, a different event. Uh, guys on the beach, a guy's jumping down from a helicopter. Uh, there's a hockey game, Jewish Heritage Night. In in middle of the hockey game, th there will be a soccer team that will come and play soccer for from Jewish Heritage Night, and then uh, they will throw donuts at you in the stadium. Which, frankly, I don't want a donut thrown in my face. And there's just a lot of events now. In contrast, I used to live in Seattle, Washington, where there's a much smaller Jewish community. Uh, I would say not even a community, maybe more of a, a commune. And there was much fewer events, which I loved because I didn't have to go to many events. And there, it's kind of like, hey, everybody, we get a, a text message. There's one guy in downtown Seattle. He has the community donut. We're going to go to him. There's going to be a raffle. One family is going to win that donut. Then... He's going to light the menorah. Then we're going to go home. And then next year, we're going to come back and do the same thing. Whereas here in Florida, just again, a lot going on, a lot to choose from. Also, we just celebrated, probably, we just observed, at least for me, my favorite Jewish holiday. And that is Nittelnacht. Because that is my one guilt-free night of the year. Because all other nights of the year, as a from Jew, I feel like... I'm not really maximizing my time or using my potential. I should be learning Gemara. I should be learning Mishnayis. I should be davening, and I should be doing all of this at the same time. The thing is, with Nittelnacht, you can't, at least our custom in Chabad, is not to learn. And so, Nittel, I'm just, just walking around aimlessly, like without any guilt, because I shouldn't be learning. In fact, I cannot be learning. I always will ask people on Nuttel, hey, you want to get together, learn something, just to see what they're going to say. And of course, they're not interested in learning. And so I'm not saying we should do Nittel every night, but I'm just saying is it's just, it just something I look forward to every year. Let me know uh, how your Nittel went. 
I also think that potentially, if we really take Nitlnach seriously, we may want to extend that maybe for a week or two. You just do your shiurim before or afterwards, and then we get together Nitlnach. Uh, now, I want to talk a little bit about from secrets. There are very hush-hush things with that within the community. And this is a serious matter, by the way. This is, not, this is not a joking matter. So there are some very deep secrets within the community. And so, these are so discreet that whenever you're talking to somebody else about this topic or these topics, they will tell you, please do not mention it to anybody, especially within the from community. Here's what I mean. This is what happens when somebody within the firm community will find an online website that sells kids' clothing at great prices, like, like you feel like you're pushing stealing from them. And they will tell you, hey, I'll share the website with you, but on condition that you don't share it with anybody else in the firm community. Because if the firm community finds out about this, it's over. All these savings, all these deals are gone. This week, somebody in, in Shul told me, well, I wasn't in show, I was taking a, a mental health walk with him, and he told me, uh, I was doing it more for my mental, he was doing it, by the way, more for his health, combination of the two would be a mental health walk, and I want to be very strong mental, and he wants to be very strong health. And he told me that there's this new store that opened, which is even better than Five Below. In general, first of all, you say that that's sacrilege, don't say that to my face, better than Five Below. Five Below is already the top dog. But he said it's better. And he said, I'll tell you where the store is, but you can't tell anybody else from the shul or anybody else in the firm community. Because if you do, I guess he's got an, a vision of just buses pulling in from Williamsburg and from North Miami Beach and from Lakewood and then basically ransacking, paying for everything maybe being a little pushy in the lines, but the next thing you know, it looks like what a shelf looks like in the grocery store when the news is trying to scare you that a hurricane is coming, even though it's not coming, and people are pulling water off the shelf. On my previous podcast, I did talk a little bit about a drug dealer and consumption of drugs. Drugs are a serious thing. This is a comedy podcast, that's first of all. I want to say that I do not condone the use or the consumption of drugs. And obviously, I make jokes on the podcast, but you know, I'm not advocating consumption of drugs. Now, I'm especially opposed to the consumption of the drugs that you guys are doing if you're not sharing them with me. So if somebody comes to Shoal and he has a Ziploc bag with his drugs and he says, these are just my drugs, I don't want to share any of these with you. They're just for me and my table. Why don't you just wait until a Kiddush and, and go get a plate and walk around and put some fruits and vegetables on it? Then at that point, I really want to condemn drug use. So I do not condone it, particularly when people are being very stingy with the drugs that they have, especially with this economy, which is not roaring at the moment. Now, I have a theoretical question, and it involves a lot of ethics. So again, this is completely 
theoretical and not based on anything legitimate. So now, here's my question. If somebody's car was greatly damaged in a, in a car accident because maybe their wife was driving and somebody drove into their car and then the car ends up being at the mechanic for months and months and months. And this guy's calling the mechanic all the time saying, hey, is my car ready? Uh, you know, your loaner car is really, really fancy and it's attracting the wrong audience. Can I get my car back? And the car dealership theoretically is saying, hey, it's not ready yet. We need to get some more pieces. Mazda is not cooperating. Now, the question is, is it ethical that as quiet revenge for the mechanic for taking so long to return the car, for this person to fill up the trunk of the loaner car with Seamus that his wife told him to get rid of from the house. So now he returns the car, the loaner car, to get his car back because the car is finally ready a couple months later. But now unbeknownst to the garage, the trunk is now full with bags and bags of hyenas. Now again, this, this is again completely you know, a made-up scenario. But do we think that's an ethical thing to do? Or do we think it's not an ethical thing to do? Now, uh, I wanted to also address uh, the economic slowdown that we're going through. And I do appreciate companies now, CPGs, being extremely innovative in terms of their branding and their go-to-market strategy. So Colgate toothpaste, which I use all the time, or most of the time, unless we're using an organic type of toothpaste without any flavor or chemicals. So what they're doing now is they now have for their loyal customers, part of their loyalty program, you can call a number. And if you are somebody who has a tube of toothpaste, and it's been empty for three weeks now, and every night you've been rolling it up, trying to squeeze out the last of the remnants, Colgate, you call this hotline, they will actually come with an 18-wheeler truck, and as a courtesy, they will drive over that old tube of toothpaste to squeeze out one or two more days. Because again, you're doing a fine job not replenishing that toothpaste. But again, you're only going to get maybe another drop or two out of this. What Colgate is doing is they're using logistics now to help you get even more from that tube. Uh, so this even more from Colgate thing. I think you have to go, I think it's on Colgate forward slash uh, VIP and you'll see it. I want to talk about something that has been irking me since the time of day. And I don't mean just the time of this day. I mean, from when the world was created, I wasn't even around, but this thing was already bothering me. And that is to all the people who on their phones have a screensaver of their family. What irks me even more are people who have a screensaver of themselves and their spouse. Because let's be honest, 
when you're checking your phone a thousand times a day and you're making sure that that third backup email address is not getting any mail because it never gets any email for you, isn't the whole point of checking out your phone to escape the current reality that you live in? So why would you need a reminder about who your family and your wife is? Like again, you're gonna scroll through somebody else's Instagram feed and see what's going on in somebody else's life, in somebody else's or other people's lives. Again, the last thing you wanna do is see a picture of your family because again, you're trying to escape reality. If you're really concerned or you're really interested in seeing what's going on with your family, then I recommend you take a family album with you instead of having to see the same picture over and over and over again. Also, somebody with a picture of their wife on their screensaver, what are you hiding? Like, what are you trying to prove to your spouse? Like, you could be like, hey, I would never do something like that. Look, look at my phone. Look at the screensaver. Who do I have on the screensaver? I have you on the screensaver. I have our family on the screensaver. Of course I have nothing to hide. So I, I just don't, I don't get it. Do you think like at some point in time when they're going to be doing a eulogy for you, going to be like, this dude was the most family-oriented guy you have ever met. This guy on his screensaver had a picture, the dorkiest one, by the way, of him and his wife. So cute. They're eating out at a little cafe. They're feeding each other olives. They're not, they're not going to say that. It's not going to go on a tombstone. So do yourself a favor. Just to take your family off the phone. Okay. Uh... Why is it that every single bank that does an advertisement, or like they say in British, an advertisement, it includes the phrase, your friendly bank, or your friendly neighborhood bank. I don't recall the last time I walked into a bank and a teller got up and said, you, get the hell out of our bank. We hate you. I never had that, not even one time. Why? Because in general, I think banks are friendly. I don't understand why every single bank needs to insist that they are so friendly. In fact, the banks have lollipops. I've gone in with myself. I've gone in with my kids. They're just free for the taking. That's, you don't have to, again, tell me how friendly you are. As I was thinking about this, uh, I did recall that Wells Fargo, which is, of course, America's friendliest, most neighborhoodist bank, just had to settle or got fined $3.5 or $3.7 billion for fraud. So they're not saying they're the most honest bank because you could have people who are just friendly but dishonest. So I understand that Wells got a, a fine but I guess they're still friendly, not necessarily the most honest. So you're familiar with different metrics that economists look at in terms of how the economy is faring. So you have the CPI, consumer price index, and you have interest rates for mortgages. You have also the unemployment rate. But based on the uh, STI, it appears that the economy is headed towards a recovery. The STI is the Shoal Talking Index. So earlier this year, 
as the real estate market started to get crushed as a result of increased interest rates, uh, I noticed again the first fledgling signs were it was just getting quiet at Inshul, which is very alarming because you know something serious is going on. Now, I've noticed the last couple of Shabbosim, there is heightened talking in Shul. Now, people are not necessarily talking about deals that are being had because nobody's really doing any deals, but there's still like almost like some confidence returning and people are talking about what they're going to be doing for winter break or this Hanukkah party or that Hanukkah party and or they're talking about deals that they did in in 2020 or 21 but it's nice to see the STI picking up and uh, based on what I see it, it, again like I said I think the economy is ripe for a comeback so now halachic question if you have a potluck in your house or in somebody else's house. Like, they bring a couple of stuff and you bring a couple of stuff. Maybe there's a third couple, they also bring a couple of stuff. The question is, and this is something that I've spent a greater part of my life thinking about, is when the meal is over, if somebody came to your house and they brought a dish, now, let's say the dish only gets half finished because there was too much food to begin with, even though every single woman who was coming to the meal was panicking that there wasn't enough food. Now, let's say the dish was only half finished. Who legally owns the leftovers of a potluck? Right? You brought something to the house, only half of it. You brought a salmon, which nobody likes. Only half of it was eaten out of compassion to you because you brought that. Half of it is left over. Who gets the other half? So this is something that's I've, I've, I've experienced recently. So a couple of things, a couple, I don't know necessarily the answer. I will say that first of all, when Shabbos is finished, when Shabbos is over, I would say that's for sure the cutoff. Like there's no question once Shabbos is over, if people left leftovers at your house, there's no going back from that. You just block their number, don't answer the door if they come over. They left it there. It's taking up space in your fridge. You're not charging them rent. You keep it. The question is, what if on Shabbos proper, they decide that they need to take some stuff back? So first of all, that's a little bit of a potluck tease because just bring whatever you think is for the potluck. Don't bring everything, and then we only use half, and now you want to take the dips back. The dips are ours now. So I want to say that if that happens to you, if you're in that situation where somebody brings something over, what you could do is you distract them while you're cleaning up the table and you empty everything from the dish into uh, a, you know, an, un, uh, an unmarked type of container and you can put it in the back fridge and they say, hey, where's where the dips go? I was hoping to use some of this tomorrow in my house. You can say, oh, it was so good. We finished all of it. So that's something you could definitely do. I experienced this where a couple of weeks ago, somebody came, they had a, they brought a soup, decent soup. I'm not big on eating soups Friday night. I think it's a fake course just to fill you up. I always will pass up on soup. And this person called me. It wasn't even on Sunday. It could be even on Monday and said, hey, can I come pick up the soup that we had Shabbos? So first of all, it was, it's way beyond the, the statute limitations for you know, potluck leftovers for you to take back to your house. But the thing is, this person came to my house 
took the soup from the back fridge. And that's a Jewish spare fridge that we keep in the garage for, a, for pogroms, etc. And I also saw this person leaving the house with the soup, but also with a can of seltzer from my back fridge. So I felt both cheated and violated. And he didn't mention anything about the, the seltzer. He was kind of very cool about it. Like, hey, I know I shouldn't be taking the soup, but while I'm at it, I might as well take a seltzer from your back fridge too. And you know who you are. I forgive you because we're related. Okay. Uh, now, I also wanted to mention this year in terms of both a combination of inflation, so less value of the dollar, but at the same time a recession. So how many of you are in a situation where a week or two after Hanukkah, your kids are more liquid than you are and you have to start bumming money off your kids just to, to buy food for the house. You're like, hey, give me, can you lend me $40? When are you going to pay me back? I don't know, in a couple of years, why are you harassing me? We need, we need food for dinner. You got all this great Hanukkah gelt here. Did we do fun stuff on Hanukkah? I took you to Heritage Night. Just give me the $40. Don't make a big deal about it. You know, we're paying for your school. We're paying for your camp. Uh, I wonder if that had, 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 had it. Okay, last topic. Very near and dear to my heart. And that is... When I'm feeling down, which as an Ashkenazi Jew is every 15 minutes or so, what I do for a quick pick-me-up is I will pick up my phone and scroll all the people I've blocked over the years. There's nothing that gives me more joy than reflecting on all the wise decisions I've made over the years, right? I know... Uh, you know, the whole idea of blocking people is that you don't necessarily want them in your life. But again, it does make me smile when I'm scrolling through my block numbers and it's more, I have more people on my block list than I have in my contacts. And I mean, I can go through my block list and I, just such a strong feeling of empowerment. And uh, I would suggest for anybody who wants to create a killer app for a phone, that Apple can take, you know, 70, 80% of your earnings and you get to keep about five. So if somebody would create a double block feature, and that is in case your phone gets destroyed by a hurricane or it falls into a lake or an ocean, you can be secure that your blocked numbers will always remain blocked in the cloud because you have double block. So you never have to worry about some annoying person that you blocked a couple of years ago who you've never spoken to and somehow is still annoying you. You don't have to worry about it because it's a cloud-based block, which is beyond just a physical phone. It's just at this point on the blockchain and this guy cannot reach you. Now, there is a lot of conversation these days about artificial intelligence and there is Dolly, which creates artificial intelligent type pictures and GBT chat. But I, what I'm loving is the AI around phone number blocking. So for example, your phone has artificial intelligence now, the latest uh, iPhone update, where you can set rules. So for example, you text somebody, good Shabbos. 
and they don't respond to you. Now, you check your phone once at Shabbos, they still didn't respond to you. You check it Sunday, Monday, they didn't respond to you. Your phone is so smart and knows how you operate that it'll automatically take this guy who didn't respond good Shabbos to you and put him into the block list. Now, the phone also will know if you walk by somebody in shul and you say hello to them and they don't look at you nicely, your phone, because it's in the metaverse and you're in the metaverse, will also know, will ask you, will prompt you, hey, do you want me to block this guy for you? How smart is that phone? Um, I don't think, by the way, in general, phones are, are the healthiest thing. I do think that they kind of have taken over some people's lives. And I'm going to make a bold prediction here on the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. At some point in time, I can't pinpoint the exact date, but people, without a doubt, one day are going to start taking their phones into the bathroom with them. When they go to the restroom, they will have their phone with them, and they're going to even inter- interact with their phone in the bathroom. That You know, okay, one day they'll be looking at their, they could be looking at pictures, answering phone calls, answering text, and uh, it's, scary, it's scary to think that uh, one day we're, we're going to be all doing that. Anyways, this has been a lot of fun. I'll speak to you all later. I am, by the way, looking to get a haircut. Uh, it's a minimum. It costs $50 to get a haircut these days, and that's without a, without a tip and a service fee and to park. Uh, and there's also COVID relief that you have to put on because they have to uh, uh, disinfect uh, the machine you know, in, in between each use. So it's a minimum $50 to get a haircut. I don't have a lot of hair. I'm looking to barter full-on for a haircut. I do have uh, different things I can give you. I have a punch card, my 7-Eleven punch card. I have four drinks on it. So you're you're two left to get the seventh one for free. Uh, If anybody in general wants to join this new bartering system that I have, let me know with a voice voice note what it is you want to barter for and what what you have that you can part with as the exchange of the barter. And maybe we'll start a whole barter network. I'll talk to you all soon. Thank you.